Come to chapter 2 Sunday morning. We're in a series in the book of Colossians entitled, uh, Give Me Jesus. Also, while we're finding our place there, a reminder that on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, we're in the book of Luke as a part of that journey, and we'll be uh, enjoying that time of uh, further worship and Bible study, fellowship this evening, six o'clock, each of you are invited. Uh, Two verses this morning, Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Paul writes, Uh, By the Spirit of God, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which uh, he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, speaking of Jesus, uh, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Father, we thank you so much this morning for who you are, even as we have sung today the blessing that is ours to make you our final thought in the evening and then the first thought in the morning. And, Lord, what you have brought into our lives in the person of yourself in your Holy Spirit. We want you to know that, as we've sung as well, that we are grateful that you are always faithful and always good in our lives. And you have brought a goodness into our lives. You have been faithful in a way that no one else can be. And we consider ourselves rich for that. And we Thank you, not only in song, but we thank you in prayer. And we pray that you would give us a fresh filling of your spirit and a fresh sensitivity to your word as we study it today with an eye on not only learning your word, but how it applies to each of us today as we study it and as we uh, listen to the, the teaching. And so we pray for that sensitivity and the voice of your Holy Spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I uh, begin this teaching this morning in the same way that I have the last uh, two, three, or four, and I will uh, continue to do it in two more uh, studies beyond this one uh, with the reminder that the book of Colossians was written to a church in Colossae that had been infiltrated by false teachers, and a lot of false teaching was going on there. And it was a false teaching that was in its germ form at the time that Paul wrote it, uh, this letter, and it would become formalized in uh, the second century of the early church in uh, a heresy known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism essentially uh, carried the idea that somehow Christianity can be improved upon, uh, as it is in the scriptures, improved upon either by means of man's philosophy or by legalism or by a false or unbiblical uh, mysticism or by asceticism or by Uh, just uh, simply accommodating uh, the flesh and carnality rather than continuing to resist it as the scriptures teach us to do. And when we come this morning as we do to the third of Paul's uh, instructions concerning these heresies, we come this morning to uh, his address of what I would call a pseudo uh, mysticism and uh, engaging in false or uh, non-biblical or extra-biblical practices as a means to achieve spiritual growth or uh, spiritual maturity. Again, I want to emphasize the fact that all of these things are very prevalent within professing Christianity in the United States of America today that we must not uh, grow comfortable with them or just esteem them to be a minor thing, something that we can agree to disagree upon uh, as Christians and, uh, 
and in our uh, ultra-tolerant uh, uh, culture that we're in, the hesitancy to call anything uh, wrong or anything even right today, and to be conformed by all of that and uh, not realize that these things are very, very serious issues that the Apostle Paul is bringing up, the Holy Spirit bringing up uh, through him. And so they're not harmless. Uh, each of these things that he addresses are a, uh, a heresy, and they will take the church or they will take an individual Christian very far away from the Christianity that Jesus has provided to us at enormous expense to himself. In his incarnation, his birth into the world, uh, his thir uh, 33 and a half years of ministry in the world, and then his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. That is the investment, if we can put it that way, that Jesus has made in providing us with the Christianity that, that he has. All of these things do damage to that uh, Christianity, and so they're not harmless. In short here, in these two verses that we'll look at here this morning, uh, the Apostle Paul warns that, uh, that pseudo-mysticism has nothing to add to Christianity, and that uh, to engage in it, not only does it not advance spiritual uh, maturity and spiritual growth, but that despite its appearances, it actually separates us from the head. It separates us from Jesus himself, who is the source of all spiritual uh, guidance, all spiritual nourishment uh, and life. Not uh, the, uh, the source of some spiritual guidance in life and maturity, but all spiritual life and maturity. Concerning the Gnostics, their name uh, came from a Greek word, gnosko, gnosis, which means to know. And spiritually, they considered themselves to be the in-the-know uh, kind of people. And so they claimed to possess a greater and a secret spiritual knowledge uh, than uh, the... Uh, regular kind of Christian. And so they might come up to you in church or they might catch you privately, put their arm around you and say something like, yes, the Bible is good is as far as it goes, but we possess uh, additional knowledge. We possess greater knowledge. Yes, Jesus is a great place to start in the Christian life, but to be really spiritual you need to go beyond him. You need to go beyond his teaching and into the things that we know. You need to become a part of our, uh, our group. And of course, because uh, none of us likes to think that we're unenlightened, period. But we don't like to think as Christians that we're unenlightened spiritually uh, because we do have a motivation to be fully enlightened spiritually because we don't want to be left behind in any way uh, spiritually, we can very easily be ensnared by these kind of people and the promises that they make. It's always good to ask ourselves, I think, uh, why was the early church vulnerable to the Gnostics? Why are people vulnerable to Gnostic beliefs even today when they don't even realize that they're falling prey uh, to Gnostic beliefs. And uh, if the, the false teachers could have taught it, uh, but if uh, they're only successful because somehow uh, it's attractive to us and they gain a following. And I think one of the reasons that we are vulnerable to this kind of thing is that very often they're tapping into a spiritual pride uh, in our life or they're tapping into a spiritual a selfish ambition within our lives, the desire to be thought of as spiritual by other people, as super spiritual uh, by other people, as better than others, and uh, or just to be a part of the in kind of thing that is uh, happening and making these claims within 
uh, Christendom. Uh, or we want some kind of a fast track to spiritual growth and maturity that doesn't involve trials or hardship or uh, suffering and all of these kind of things that uh, are uh, the, the things that produce real spiritual maturity and growth uh, within our lives. What the false teachers were advancing uh, in this regard in terms of this uh, pseudo uh, mysticism in verse 18. Again, they told people that they would never ever be fully mature and never uh, be fulfilled in the Christian life as it's laid out for us in the scriptures unless they entered into this kind of secret knowledge and secret practices uh, that they were all uh, involved in as well. And one of the things that Paul mentions here that they were advocating people to get involved in is the worship of angels. Uh, the Gnostics taught that there was a, a true God and that he was so perfect that he is virtually unknowable in terms of a personal relationship. Under Gnosticism, you couldn't have a personal uh, relationship with God. And uh, their idea was that this true God who uh, is absolutely perfect in every way, uh, that it was impossible for a God like Tim to have ever created a fallen world or a fallen universe uh, because he is so perfect. He could not be the source of the creation of something uh, so imperfect. Of course, the reading of uh, Genesis chapters 1 through 3 would uh, clarify all of that. God didn't create the world imperfect. He created it perfect. And sin introduced the imperfection, the fallenness uh, into the universe and the, the, uh, into the world and the human condition. And so they, in their understanding of God, this true God they taught, uh, uh, produced in order to create the universe and the world, uh, produced a series of aeons or emanations or spirits or kind of angels uh, of himself. And so he made an emanation of himself and that emanation was uh, slightly less than him. And that emanation then uh, produced another emanation and inferior as well. And emanation after emanation uh, after emanation until there was an emanation from the true God that was far enough away uh, from him for the true God not to be contaminated uh, in any way by the actions of this emanation down uh, the line, but this emanation from himself was still powerful enough to create the universe, and so uh, he created the heavens uh, and the earth. They uh, uh, taught that their God was so perfect, again, that you couldn't have, we could not as sinful human beings, we couldn't have a personal relationship with Him. Uh, the only thing that we could ever hope for uh, would be to have a relationship with one of these emanations. And so the idea is God is so big, uh, God is so holy, and who in the world do we think that we are uh, as a human being, a mere human being, that we could ever approach God directly, that we could ever have a personal relationship with Him. And uh, that they considered that to be the height of pride and uh, the only thing we could hope for is to be able to worship one of His emanations or uh, His angels. But of course, the Bible teaches that the worship of anyone other than God, including angels, uh, is idolatry. All of it is completely uh, forbidden because the worship of even angels, angels are a created being, and, uh, we, and idolatry is the worship of anything that has been created. There are the two great classes uh, that exist. There is God who is the creator, and then there is the creation, everything else. So God is in a category of one, 
and then everything else, and to worship anything other than the Creator, no matter how mind-boggling or awesome the creation may be, is to engage in idolatry, even when that worship involves a supernatural being uh, as great as an angel. In the, when Moses was given the Ten Commandments by God in Exodus chapter 20, uh, the Lord said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me, and uh, you shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on, in the earth beneath uh, or that is in the waters under the earth. Nothing is to be create, uh, worship that is a part of the creation. In the New Testament, all of that is equally forbidden. Uh, and in fact, uh, the Apostle John uh, talking about uh, how even the best of us could be um, in, in kind of the, a certain environment, be seduced by all of this. John, the Apostle John, in the book of Revelation, uh, it, it's humorous in its own way, but he absolutely mortified uh, the angels in heaven, and he did it more than once. He did it twice, as it's recorded there in the book, as he was just uh, absolutely overwhelmed by the heavenly scene, and, uh, and overwhelmed by what was being spoken to him, what was being revealed to him. And he then endeavored to worship uh, the angels that were speaking to him. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, uh, then he said to me, the angel speaking to John, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. John's reaction was, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you don't do that. I mean, it's, uh, the angel gets completely uptight. Heaven is all about worshiping God. And here is John down, uh, down at his feet, pretty uncomfortable scene for uh, an angel. And so uh, he gently but firmly uh, tells John not to do that. See that you don't do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, uh, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 8. And now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down uh, to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, of those who keep the words of this book, uh, worship God. Uh, additionally, the Bible teaches that there is, Jesus is the lone mediator between uh, us and God, not angels, not anything else. Uh, and uh, there is one God the Bible teaches and uh, one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Paul also takes and declares that they were, uh, as a part of their teaching, taking delight in false humility. And so Paul declared that this worship of angels that were, they were advocating, uh, the teaching of the idea that we cannot uh, approach God personally and individually, uh, as Christians, Paul uh, dismisses all of it as a, uh, a false uh, humility. Uh, this idea that we should content ourselves with worshiping something lesser than God because of how great God is, or to content ourselves with the worship of angels. Paul says all of that is a false humility. The Bible teaches not only can we approach God in prayer, and not only can we uh, enjoy a very personal relationship uh, with God, but the Bible exhorts us that we are to approach God with boldness and to approach God with uh, great confidence. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, 
For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And because he is our high priest, the writer of the book of Hebrews goes on to say, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Paul understood what we are to understand, and that is, it is the magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice. Of course, none of us are worthy of approaching God. None of us are worthy uh, of having a relationship with Him. Uh, the reason we can have that relationship is because of the magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice that allows us to have this relationship. And it is an affront to Christ. It is an affront to His sacrifice in order to give us this access to God the Father uh, to teach otherwise. And so any teaching that tells us as Christians that we are anything less than what the Bible says that we are as Christians, or anything, uh, any teaching that tells us that we possess anything less than we do possess in Christ is uh, uh, not exhibiting humility in any way. It's a false humility. In fact, it is the expression of pride. It is pride under the guise of humility. And this kind of pride uh, is very, very uh, hard uh, to spot. And so this idea of who do we think we are to approach God in this way, to be so confident in our relationship with God, to come to Him so boldly uh, as we do. We can't do that. It sounds very humble to the natural mind. It sounds very humble to the carnal mind. But it isn't humility uh, at all. It isn't holiness at all because it violates uh, the teaching of the Word of God and in fact is pride. He goes on in talking about uh, what they were introducing there into the church, these Gnostics. Uh, he talks, he describes them as intruding into those things which he has not seen. Now, some commentators speculate that the false teachers were teaching the possibility of uh, entering into some kind of a spiritual state in their worship that you could then uh, find yourself in the very presence of the worship of angel, uh, the, the angels worshiping and leading the worship service in heaven. And so if you were spiritual enough and, uh, and, uh, uh, and as uh, accomplished in their teaching, advanced in their teaching, then when you would go to worship, you would then be able to enter right into that heavenly scene presently as God is being worshipped and as they uh, taught uh, the worship being led by the angels. Uh, this phrase, intruding into those things which he has not uh, seen, can also refer to uh, all of the speculations of these Gnostics uh, into the things of God that go uh, beyond what the Scriptures reveal uh, to us. And when Paul uses that word intruding, uh, the Greek word there that he uses, it carries the idea of uh, investigating uh, with the, uh, the attitude of impertinence. In other words, uh, they are uh, 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 intruding into things. They possess no fear in putting their uh, speculations, human speculations, uh, on a par with Scripture. And then even as they did, taking it beyond and declaring their human speculations spiritually to be of greater authority than the Scriptures themselves. This intruding into those things which he has not uh, seen it can also refer to revelations that they claim that be getting 
from God uh, by, uh, by virtue of visions, and, uh, but visions that violated the revelation of the scriptures, visions that violated the nature of God, what we know about God, violated the truth as it's found um, in the scriptures. And so, uh, so often as Christians, we're such uh, very, very nice people and, uh, and we're very hesitant to uh, declare even the craziest things that uh, Christians will sometimes say about uh, uh, visions that they've had. And, and uh, so uh, there isn't a lot of rebuking or testing that goes on related to that. And so they could have these very, very fanciful kind of visions violated what we know about God and what we know from the scriptures. And, uh, and Paul says, listen, they're intruding into those things which they have not seen. These are not visions that are coming from God. I remember back in 1983, I was a, a, pr a pretty new Christian at that time. And uh, I remember that Oral Roberts gave a, uh, in, in a, a couple of prophecies that were of this ilk. And he declared that uh, a 900-foot Jesus had appeared before him and told him to build a hospital in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma in order the, to cure uh, all cancer uh, in the world. And of course, uh, for donations to come in toward that. Later on, uh, he had another vision that the Lord had come to him and uh, threatened that he was going to take Oral Roberts, Roberts into heaven. He was going to kill Oral Roberts unless Oral Roberts raised $8 million. And of course, uh, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, he created gold. He created diamonds. He created all of these things. He doesn't need somebody to raise money for him because uh, he's $8 million short on anything. But these are the kind of things where people are saying things that they have heard from God or received from God, but they violate what we know about God and what the scriptures teach. Paul uh, 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 provides us in verses 18 and 19 with really an absolutely unflinching assessment uh, of these false teachers of uh, pseudo-mysticism. You notice in verse 18, he declared that they uh, cheat Christians of their reward. And when Paul, the word that Paul uses in the Greek for uh, cheat there, um, it's intended to produce a picture within our minds if we uh, read in, in New Greek. And, uh, and the picture that it's intended to produce within our minds is of a Christian who is engaged in a race, say, in the Olympic Games, and uh, the Christian is running well, uh, the Christian is in a very good position to uh, win his or her prize uh, in that race, but then these false teachers come along and they try to convince him or her uh, to leave their appointed lane, uh, which if they do, it will lead to them being disqualified uh, in uh, that, that race for uh, the prize. And of course, our prize as Christians is to one day hear from the very mouth of Jesus spoken to us as we look to him in his eyes, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into uh, the joy uh, of the Lord. And Paul is telling uh, those in the church at Colossae uh, that if they listen to these false teachers, it will put them on a path uh, on which uh, there will be no well done at the end of it. And as a result, they will be cheated of their reward. Paul goes on again in verse 18, as we've already seen, uh, he called all of this a false humility. Again, he accused them of intruding into those things uh, which he, he has not seen. In other words, their, uh, their teaching is born out of ignorance. The Gnostics claim to have secret knowledge. Paul flatly declares them 
uh, to be ignorant spiritually, very far from uh, the enlightened ones that they were declaring themselves uh, to be. He also uh, describes them as being, verse 18, uh, vainly puffed up. That is, all of their secret knowledge was only an expression of, a manifestation of their massive egos, their massive uh, pride. And there is no uh, greater sin to be found in the human condition than pride, because pride is at the core of all sin. And, uh, and, but to think of, uh, if you just stop and think of the absolute arrogance, uh, the absolute absence of the fear of God behind the idea that I can improve upon the Christianity provided to us by Jesus. I mean, what category of pride uh, is that? And so how self-important does a person have to think they are to go there? And pride, as it's described so often in the New Testament, it's a word that uh, translates to see myself above. And most often it's used of uh, the uh, pride of one human being toward another. It is to see myself above, above other people or uh, better than other people intrinsically. But there is an even uh, more dangerous manifestation of pride uh, in a human being's life than having pride in relationship to our fellow man. And that is the, uh, the pride related to, uh, to God and to see myself above God, above His revelation, above the truth of the Word of God. That is pride uh, that has gone into the realm of spiritual uh, in, insanity. And they weren't, as Paul says here, they weren't full of secret knowledge. The only thing they were full of was pride. And Paul declared, because their knowledge was born out of their pride, because it had no foundation in the Scriptures, uh, that uh, it was vain. Uh, It was vain and empty and useless to anyone seeking spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. Everything they were teaching came exclusively from carnal minds. They were the product of their own uh, very fertile imaginations and, and they were sheer fantasies uh, in light of the fact that they violated the scriptures. Well, do these uh, kind of things exist uh, today uh, in, within Christendom? And uh, Paul, his assessment here Uh, of these things and what he's teaching here in these two verses. It applies absolutely to Gnosticism, but it applies to any non-biblical or any extra-biblical experiences that are uh, advanced by anyone uh, as a uh, a mark of spirituality uh, and and without a, a foundation uh, in the scripture and, and, and advanced as a means of uh, spirit, uh, attaining to a, a deeper spiritual life and spiritual growth under the banner of Christianity. So what he's saying here is not just true about Gnosticism, but it's true about any religious system that declares itself to be Christian that ventures into the same kind of things. And... Uh, And so examples of where this kind of thing is taught and practiced today. Within uh, the Roman Catholic Church, you have the uh, worship and the veneration of Mary, uh, including prayer to her. Uh, And that would be within Roman Catholicism a classic example of what Paul is uh, condemning here. Uh, praying to the dead saints is the kind of thing that Paul is condemning here. Uh, purgatory would be another example within 
uh, within uh, Roman Catholicism that fits into this category. Transubstantiation, the Catholic teaching that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, that uh, the, the bread and the, uh, the wine become uh, mystically the actual body and blood of Jesus at that moment uh, in time there is, uh, that we partake. There is no need uh, to add this to uh, the Bible's revelation related to the Lord's Supper in order to make the Lord's Supper more special to us as Christians. But this is the kind of thinking that goes on uh, uh, behind. Somehow we have to make this more special. We have to make, uh, have secret things or additional things beyond the revelation of scriptures. Uh, the office of the Pope would fit into that category. The infallibility of uh, uh, the Pope would fit into that category and so forth within Roman Catholicism. Many, many other things that we could lay out. And just so if you're currently a Roman Catholic or you come out of that background and you think I might be picking on them unjustly, we'll shift uh, straight into Protestantism uh, and examples there. And most of the examples there within Protestantism come from uh, not all Pentecostalism, but it comes from uh, out of Pentecostalism or charismatic uh, kind of sections of the body of Christ. Uh, and not all Pentecostals are charismatic, those are these extremes, but there is a hyper-Pentecostalism uh, that, that ventures into this realm of uh, where the Gnostics did. Um, you would be heading into what the Apostle Paul uh, uh, condemns here if we make certain gifts of the Holy Spirit, a particular badge of spirituality, or uh, makes you a, a higher level of Christian. And of course, uh, when I was a brand new Christian within some portions of Pentecostalism, the gift of tongues, and I do, I, I'm an advocate for the gift of tongues. I'm not putting it down at all. The practice of the gift of tongues is, is being this pseudo-mysticism. It is nothing of the sort. It's taught in the Bible. Uh, but. But here was the idea that within some camps that if you didn't speak in tongues, uh, then you weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. And some went so far as to say, if you didn't speak in tongues, then you weren't born again. It was the, the great manifestation of the spiritual birth in a person's life. And all of that goes way beyond what the, the Bible teaches concerning salvation, spiritual gifts, even uh, the gift of tongues. And then there's the practice of uh, inner healing, uh, the healing of memories, uh, the healing of auras, uh, as these have been taught through the years, uh, identifying uh, generational spirits and uh, combating generational spirits, uh, deliverance ministries that rise up in order to deliver Christians from uh, demon possession, which is an impossibility the Bible uh, teaches. And then, of course, some of you are old enough to remember the whole being drunk in the Spirit, uh, being slain in the Spirit, and then the, being drunk in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was uh, called the Holy Spirit bartender, as all of that was the rage during uh, that Toronto movement. And, uh, and then it gave way to uh, laughing in the Spirit, people uh, laughing uncontrollably as a manifestation of the Spirit, and then gave way to barking in the Spirit, uh, uh, there also is the, uh, the practice of feathers falling from uh, the ceiling in, uh, in a church. And if a, a feathers fell, it was an indication that the angels were present in that service and somehow uh, molting apparently uh, in, in the midst of what it is that, that's going on. Uh, God changing Christians' Uh, uh, fillings within their mouths uh, into gold fillings, from silver fillings into gold uh, fillings, which of course always raises the question, 
If God is going to bother to change a silver filling into a gold filling, why wouldn't he just restore the uh, tooth to uh, full health? Uh, 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 Because such a thing would be certainly within his power to do that. And so these kind of things that have no foundation in the Scripture at all, but to practice them uh, is, uh, is a, a, an indication, or to believe in them, is an indication of a, a super-enlightened kind of, of Christian. Now, in saying this, I do want to be careful that, uh, that we do not understand uh, that what Paul, uh, what Paul is saying here in any way to be the rejection of the supernatural of the Christian life. The, the Christian life is the most supernatural life that anyone can live. It is supernatural from beginning to end. It is supernatural from the moment that we are born again by the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. It's supernatural all the way to our final breath when we are ushered into the glory uh, of heaven. There is the supernatural of resurrection power that comes into our lives as a result of being uh, born again. All of the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, are a part of the supernatural Uh, of the Christian life and needed within uh, the body of Christ. Miracles are for uh, today. The Bible that we study, uh, 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 the writer of the book of Hebrews declares to be supernatural. It is alive. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, uh, it, it, there, uh, the, the Christian life is absolutely supernatural. Paul is not frowning on the supernatural that is found uh, and that we practice that is found in the Scriptures. What Paul is saying, essentially, is that there is so much legitimate, Bible-based, supernatural to experience and explore that is founded in the scriptures, that there isn't any need to manufacture any of this other kind uh, of stuff. And I think that the the Bereans in uh, Acts chapter 17 have something very important to speak to us in this regard, in a balanced regard in all of this. And Luke wrote of them, Famous verse in the Bible, Acts 17.11, Acts 17.11, Acts 17.11. Commit it to memory as a protection from these kind of things or any false doctrine. And Luke wrote of the Bereans. He said, and these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that, here's the reasons, in that they received the word of God with all readiness And second, search the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. The two great characteristics of those Christians in Berea was number one, they were open to the Word of God. They were teachable. They were hungry for uh, the Word of God. They received it with readiness of mind. And then second, as Paul taught them the Word of God, they searched the Scriptures to see whether what he was teaching was true. And Paul was not offended by that at all. Uh, Luke commends that uh, here. They searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether what Paul was teaching uh, was so. They listened to his teaching, and then they proceeded to test Paul's teaching Uh, by searching the Scriptures uh, themselves. And they listened to Paul and other teachers, and they asked themselves in the privacy of their mind, where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? And the reason that that is important is that very often the false teachers, like Gnostics and others, they'll respond to that challenge, you asking or I asking Where is that in the Bible? And they'll say, well, it's not in the Bible, but it's not strictly forbidden uh, uh, in the Bible. 
And so what they proceed to do is to argue the legitimacy of the practice from silence. Our thing is okay because the Bible is silent on the issue. The Bible doesn't specifically uh, condemn it. But what we learn from the Bereans is the Bereans didn't want anything argued from uh, silence. They wanted a biblical basis for everything they believed and everything that they practiced. And why? Because there is more than a hundred lifetimes worth of things to experience as a Christian that are clearly taught in the scriptures without resorting to anything that is birthed out of silence. The cause of all this kind of thing, verse 19, all of this false doctrine and all of these false practices, uh, Paul declares, is not because these false teachers were connected to God in some extraordinary way, uh, but uh, it was due to the fact that they were not holding fast to the head, uh, to Jesus, and in fact, they were cut off uh, from him. Notice verse 19 again. And not holding fast to the head uh, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. And these practices uh, of these things, they resulted from not being connected to Jesus. What they were advocating didn't come from him at all. And uh, Jesus, who as the head of the church, uh, as the head of Christians, the all Christians worldwide, the body of Christ, he is the source again of all true guidance, all true uh, wisdom and nourishment and growth and life and unity. And the whole idea of establishing a class of super-Christians Uh, within the body of Christ as a whole is a violation of everything that we see in the Bible being taught about the unity of the body of Christ. To develop that kind of thing within the body of Christ would inevitably produce a division and it would introduce a cancer into the body uh, of, uh, of Christ. And uh, because we need one another, we are interdependent upon uh, uh, one another, we exist to lift one another up and not to look uh, down on one another as this kind of teaching advocates and produces in terms of the pride uh, within a Christian. And uh, only this unity to Christ uh, is what keeps all of us together as Christians in in a healthy Uh, relationship to one another and united. And if a Christian isn't careful, in some Christian settings, all of this pseudo-spirituality, these non-biblical practices, these extra-biblical practices, they end up becoming the focus of a Christian's life, as opposed to a personal relationship with the Lord. And so uh, a person comes to church and the entire focus is upon all of these other kind of phenomenon or, or um, examples of, you know, it, 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 it witnesses to the fact that we are an extraordinary uh, group of Christians and appealing uh, to our pride. These things become a badge of spirituality. And Paul's exhortation to each of us concerning this kind of pseudo-mysticism that was uh, very much alive back then and very much alive today. He said, let no one cheat you of your reward. In other words, get away from it, get out from under the influence of any such system or under, from under the influence of any such uh, individual. And that word from the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is as needed today as ever it was needed 2,000 years ago in the city of Colossae. When there is so much false teaching in this regard and the attempt to introduce so many carnal 
and unbiblical and pride-provoking things uh, into Christianity. And so my prayer is, um, is that God will use our time in these two verses here today to allow the sermon not to end, though it will end in just uh, one moment, but for it not to end in our hearts. And the, these two passages speaking to us, if we are under the influence of any of this kind of teaching, and to recognize what Paul is saying here, and all it will do is cut you off from intimacy with God, and it will be a hindrance to your relationship with the Lord, the relationship that God has to, wants to have with you, and to abandon these things. There is something far greater awaiting you as you would do that. And then for this time to be kind of an inoculation, a protection in our lives, not to be sucked into these uh, very seductive kind of things that are born out of false humility as we continue our pilgrimage uh, from here to our ultimate destination, the glory of heaven. Let's stand together now and we'll uh, close in uh, prayer and in a final worship song. Father, again, so amazed at the incredible diversity of your word and what you uh, choose to include in it and all of the different things that you address and how specific this kind of thing is that you talk about here in these two verses and yet how necessary it is in terms of of its existence and the, the seduction of this kind of thing to pull us away from the Christianity that you have wonderfully provided to us in all of its absolute perfection. And Lord, I pray that um, this time in your word would free anyone that is being uh, seduced by this kind of thing today whatever their background um, in religion, and that you would, would protect us from being pulled into any of this by virtue of what uh, Paul has written by your Spirit to us here. And we ask for this work of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. If you, if you, uh,